came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. Wow, we got a dynamite show for you today about what's going on in the world. Uh, we have uh, Senator Rand Paul. What's going on with uh, Dr. Fauci? Congresswoman Kat Kamek. Senator John Kennedy, what's going on with our borders? And Senator Ted Cruz, he's mad as hell as, as Texas is being invaded. And to start off the show, Bill Barr, the Attorney General for H.W. Bush, and 30 years later, the Attorney General for Trump, how the rule of law has changed over the last 30 years. With us today this Sunday morning is Bill Barr. He was the Attorney General of the United States under uh, President H.W. Bush, and he was the Attorney General of the United States uh, almost 30 years later under uh, President Trump. Welcome to this uh, our show, uh, and uh, I hope everything is healthy and, and, and we're in a new year. Yeah, yeah, good to be with you, John. You served under H.W. Bush uh, almost 30 years ago, and uh, now uh, you served under uh, uh, President Trump. There is a significant difference in my eyes in how the Department of Justice was handled 30 years ago and what's going on right now where there's a uh, crisis of confidence, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I think things have gotten a lot worse in the past 30 years. You know, people sometimes have rose-colored glasses and think everything was hunky-dory and bipartisan in those days, and it wasn't. You know, they were going after H.W. Bush, although the left today talks about him as a great man. During that time, you know, they were trying to bring him down with uh, Iraq-gate and, uh, you know, the... uh, Iran-Contra pseudo scandal and all that stuff. So there's always been efforts to use the justice system for political purposes, but it's gotten a lot worse. And a double standard has definitely uh, emerged that's quite obvious. And I think it's related to the sharp movement of the Democratic Party to the left, the far left, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party has just taken the party further and further to the left. And their kind of philosophy, this kind of radical progressivism, basically is an anything-goes philosophy, that because they are trying to move the human race to, you know, this heaven on earth and be with the march of history, that anything they do is morally justified because they're right. This has led to the idea that the ends justify the means, and they've become, I think, dirtier and dirtier when it comes to using the criminal justice system, especially as a political weapon. And the Republicans have generally tended, as we always do, play by the rules and, you know, the Marcus Kingsbury's rules. And Trump has pointed out that this difference where the Republicans play by the rules and the left 
does not. And that's one of the problems we face today. Now, his prescription is, you know, we got to play as dirty as them. Fight fire with fire, tit for tat. I don't agree with that. I think, you know, if we go down that route, there's no coming back. I think our rule of law just completely collapses. We've seen so many things happen, whether the way they treated Roger Stone. I mean, they, 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 he, the guy was never arrested in his life, and all of a sudden, there's 30 FBI agents uh, and, and helicopters and CNN being there to arrest him, and they put him in the solitary confinement uh, versus uh, uh, other situations where uh, how guilty is uh, Biden's son, Hunter? Yeah, well, I mean, that investigation was initiated when I was there, so I'm not, you know, I don't want to, you know, say anything about his ultimate uh, guilt or anything like that. But, you know, the difference, the way they treated uh, allegations about Trump versus allegations about Biden, you know, is night and day. I mean, a good example to me is all this talk about insurrection. Well, the insurrection I saw that's, to me, clear was in the summer of 2020 with 110 days of attacks on a federal court for the purpose of burning it down. You know, attacks on marshals with lasers that temporarily blinded a number of them and so forth. Just night after night of extremely violent attacks on a federal courthouse. Now, no one says anything about that. And when I was testifying before the House Judiciary Committee, I asked the Democrats, does any of you want to speak out against that? And none of them did. And yet, you know, the march on the Capitol is treated as a, you know, as a great insurrection. Now, don't get me wrong. I think the people who rioted, who attacked the police, uh, you know, terrible violence against the police and broke their way into the Capitol. Some of those people, you know, those people, the people who engaged in violence like that should go to prison. But, you know, the administration has made this almost the most important law enforcement matter in the country. They've dedicated tremendous resources and they've gone after people who I don't think pose the kind of threat that justifies that kind of, you know, people who just sort of wandered into the to the Capitol because the doors were open and the police were sort of saying, hey, come on in. And so I feel that if they put the same emphasis on law enforcement, on, on real crime out there or, or other kinds of crime out there that they've put onto the Capitol, this would be the safest country in the world. Uh, I I agree 100%. It seems like I don't believe the American people have the truth yet of what really happened on on January 6th. And and some of these people are in jail for like three years where other in other cities and other states, murderers are walking around free. That's right. It's very selective what they're doing Uh, in law enforcement. They just sort of are letting even at the Fed, you know, the federal department is not aggressively pursuing violent crime the way it was under Trump's administration or under the first President Bush or the second President Bush. So they're softer on that kind of crime, except the people who were involved in the riot up on Capitol Hill. But again, you know, when I see those images of attacking the cops and throwing things at the cops and real horrendous violence being used, those are the people that need to go to jail. Is there an attack, systematic attack on America, whether it's our education system and what's going on in our high-level universities, uh, the border crisis that has been created in allowing just no borders 
uh, the crisis of drugs going through those same borders with our hands tied or some of our agents, their hands tied from enforcing it. I mean, we've had 100,000 Americans die in the last 12 months because of of drugs uh, going through the Mexican borders. In my book, One Damn Thing After Another, I go over what I think has been the fundamental change. I think we have seen a fundamental change in our politics in the past several decades. I think they're basically, you know, in the West, there have been two models, the the Anglo-American system that gave rise to our Constitution and to the unbelievable freedoms and prosperity and wherever it's been tried around the world. And then you have another model, which has been more represented by the French Revolution, which is this idea that in order to reach a brave new world, something in the future, some socialist and perfectly equitable society, we have to tear down everything now, just tear it down because it's all corrupt and it's interfering with this movement of history toward this earthly paradise. Now, all totalitarian movements on the right or the left have had this thinking. And, you know, it's, it undergirds communism and socialism and so forth. And this is this, what they call progressivism. And this progressivism has taken on this messianic state of mind where they have to tear everything down to build their brave new world. And that's what's different. In the past, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party were agreed on the basic system we have, and there were differences within it, and some moved right, some moved left, and so forth. But now they're outside the system. They want to tear the system down, and it's a comprehensive attack on every institution, the politicization of every institution, the harnessing of every institution to be part of this revolutionary change. And they're destroying the integrity of all these things. The, you know, they're just letting people into the United States now, not just from South America, but half the people that come across, it seems, uh, the border are from elsewhere in the world. We, we don't know where they're coming from. It's just completely open borders. Virtually every education system are turning out sort of mindless sheep who are easily manipulable, can be made to you know, march for just about any cause. It's it and, and, and don't have any internal compass. I mean, what happened, the anti-Semitism that emerged on campus and the, and the brainless supporting of terrorist group like Hamas is mind boggling that this could happen. So all our institutions are being corrupted by this. And this is, of course, given rise to uh, someone like Donald Trump, who, uh, you know, is really a product of the excesses of the far left. And he's succeeding now, and, and he has a decent prospect of winning re-election again because of Biden and the far left of the Democratic Party. The constitutional crisis that I, we talked about before, where if the Supreme Court makes a decision and the executive branch of the our government doesn't listen to it, for instance, uh, on the uh, student loans, uh, because... He, I think my opinion is uh, President Biden said, well, we're going to give you back $10,000 each on student loans, even though uh, Nancy Pelosi said it's not legal, even though everybody else said it was not legal. Tens of thousands of uh, students say, yes, I'm going to vote for him because he's going to give me $10,000. Who enforces, if the Department of Justice controls the FBI, who enforces 
uh, the laws of the land, uh, of the laws of the Supreme Court, or the contempt of Congress where nobody is listening to Congress when they're issuing subpoenas. Is that a crisis in our, in our whole system? I think it's an emerging crisis because our, our system does depend on each branch of government respecting the powers and authority of the other within their realm. And it's very rare that that has been challenged. Now, it's not a perfect record. As, uh, President Andrew Jackson defied the Supreme Court. They issued an order and he said, well, they made the order, they can enforce it. So it, it's happened in the past, but the, the extent to which the branches are now just ignoring the law and your example of the student loan thing is a perfect example, just ignoring it. The border is another example. They're just not enforcing the law. And we see this also, by the way, as you know, in our cities where whole areas of crime are, are essentially washed off the books because, you know, they decide that we're just not going to enforce these laws. And it's leading to the, the, the collapse of the rule of law. And you know, people on the left are worried that if Trump is elected president, you know, he won't obey the Supreme Court and so forth. And then you, you could have a crisis. And I do think that's a possible scenario. So, you know, I'm worried about the growing ignoring of the law. And if, if it, it's a serious and, crisis, sir. Yeah, it, and, and everything it, is it, politics and power. And the, the words I will not use on the president of the United States is, you know, people are walking around saying it confidentially to each other. Has President Biden crossed the line? And I'm going to wait for that answer for our next interview. Absolutely, John. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, former Attorney General Bill Barr. Thank you for giving us the comparisons between 30 years ago and today. And May God save America. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. This is Jason Holleran. I proudly serve for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. With us today is uh, Senator Rand Paul. Uh, from the great state of Kentucky. This is the new year, and he has a lot to say about what's going on in our country and in the world. Uh, Senator Paul, uh, uh, tell us what keeps you up at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, John. Well, I think the biggest worry and the biggest concern I have for our country is uh, this enormous uh, debt that we have, and it's accumulating so rapidly and I'm, I'm very fearful that we're going to destroy our currency, that we'll at some point no longer be the world's reserve currency, and that there will be great uh, changes that will come about that won't be good for our country. In the last three months, we've accumulated over a trillion dollars in three months. A trillion dollars worth of debt in three months is extraordinary. Uh, we've never accumulated debt this fast. And basically, you know, when we accumulate debt, the Federal Reserve buys it, but they do it by creating new currency. And as that new currency circulates, it drives prices up, so we get inflation. 
And I don't think they can necessarily make it go away uh, simply by changing the interest rates. They've tried, and some of it seems to have subsided. But to tell you the truth, we put trillions of dollars, we've pumped trillions of dollars into the economy. It's bid the stock market way up. But there's always a question, is that a real advance of the stock market or is it inflated by the Federal Reserve? Understood. And, I mean, my uh, problem with this is uh, that the United States has gone from uh, $5 trillion, uh, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, to 33 or $34 trillion. Now, I think we have the capability of, of increasing that if there's, uh, if there's confidence in Washington. And I think a lot of our uh, international uh, friends has lost confidence in what's going on in Washington. Uh, uh, do you think that's a function, too? Yeah, and I think it's extraordinary. If you look at Europe, over half of the European Union actually balances their annual budget. They have large uh, welfare states. They have free this, free that. Not really free, but the government provides for it with taxes. But they actually balance their budget. I've got an op-ed coming out soon on Sweden. And in Sweden, if uh, the economy goes south and economic growth slows down, their payments slow down. They actually base their payments on how well the economy is doing. And they're more of a defined contribution than a defined benefit. And so you have to contribute to these things, and you really only get if you're contributing. And so really sometimes these countries we perceive as being much more socialist than we are are actually more fiscally responsible than the United States. In the United States, nobody, Democrat or Republican, or very few, I'm one of the very few who will actually say we have to do something about the entitlements. The entitlement programs, the welfare and Medicare and Medicaid and all these food stamps, that's two-thirds of our budget. All the taxes that everybody pays only pays for the entitlements. Everything else is borrowed. Senator, in your gut feeling or, you know, uh, uh, educated feeling, uh, how many uh, people are coming to work uh, in Washington that uh, federal employees are actually coming to work versus taking advantage of the, the situation? Because in New York City, I understand a large portion of our New York City workers are still not coming to work. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, for a while it was over half of the workers not coming in. I don't have the exact statistic now, but it's still quite a few are not coming to work. And uh, the the utter incompetence of this, you know, so during COVID, I think it was a mistaken notion to shut the economy down, pass out checks, but that's what they did. And unfortunately, Republicans were involved with this too. Not me, but some Republicans were. But you know the way they passed out the checks, they passed out over a billion dollars to dead people. I went to the Senate floor and complained about sending checks to dead people. They said, oh, we've fixed it. We now have evidence that 38 million more went out to dead people. I mean, it's, it's just extraordinary uh, that we don't even have the competence or the federal government doesn't even have the competence uh, not to pay dead people. That is a mess. Now, uh, one of the other situations that you've been involved in, because you're, uh, you're, you're a doctor, uh, is uh, – uh, this uh, Fauci situation, and I understand it could be more serious than we first anticipated. So Fauci came in to testify before the House Select Committee on COVID this week, and he basically said that he didn't remember or couldn't recall over 100 times in the first day of testimony. Um, so for a guy that's smart enough to think that he can shut down the school, shut down the economy, force everybody to get vaccinated, including children, including people who have already had COVID. He could in the military, everything. He put, we got mandates everywhere, and he was all for them. 
but yet he can't recall sort of how the decision-making went or what the science is to support this. When he was asked whether or not he approved the research that went on in Wuhan, he said he approved all research, but he said he didn't read it. When they asked him what were the controls, what was the oversight for the research being done in foreign countries, he said well, he wasn't aware of how that worked. So, I mean, this is sort of the slipshod nature of what was going on, but it wasn't just a bureaucratic mistake. It was a, ultimately a mistake funding the lab in Wuhan that led to the pandemic. The Department of Energy has concluded this. The FBI has con concluded this. And even a secret committee within the CIA also concluded that it looked like the virus came from the lab. But the lab only was able to function because the U.S. funded it, because Anthony Fauci approved of it. And he's never been held responsible for this. This is probably the worst decision ever made by a public health official in the history of time, really, because not only a million Americans died, they say maybe as many as 20 million people died worldwide. Somewhere between 10 and 20 million died worldwide. And it was largely because of the decision of Anthony Fauci to fund dangerous research, gain-of-function research, where you allow viruses to be combined, and they gain lethality, they gain infectiousness. And they do this in the lab to create a virus that doesn't exist in nature. And then what we believe happened is that virus leaked from the Wuhan lab, started a pandemic in China. Then as people got on subways and planes and trains, it spread around the world. Now, to, 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 for all those people out there that don't understand the, the words uh, gain-of-function research, the way I understand it is they take animal viruses and soup it up. It's like souping up a, you know, a, a V8 engine, you know, and to make it even more dangerous. I mean, why would they do something stupid like that? So we go over this. I have a new book called Deception, the Great COVID Cover-Up. And in that book, we go over how this is done. Sometimes they take an unknown virus and another unknown virus, and they take portions of each virus and then stick them together. Sometimes they have a known virus that infects humans, and they take an unknown virus and stick part of it on the new one. But what they create is a hybrid, or the fancy name is Chimera. It's a mixture of two different viruses but what they create is a virus that doesn't exist in nature. And then they say, oh, we're just trying to see if it is more infectious. But the thing is, is no one's really figured out that there's useful knowledge from that. We do think that the Chinese were actually creating a coronavirus, a, a COVID-like 19 virus, and that it may well have been created in the lab because they thought, well, we'll create a more dangerous virus, and then we'll create a vaccine to respond to it. So it may well have been that they were actually trying to create a, a vaccine, but in doing so, some of the laboratory workers got sick. In my book, we talk about the fact that three workers in uh, Dr. Shi, the bat scientist in Wuhan, three of the scientists in her lab uh, came down with pneumonia that sounds very suspicious for COVID in November of 2019. And if they had been tested early on in the pandemic, and they probably were, the Chinese probably know absolutely it came from the lab because if they had COVID and they had a variety that was an, a not consistent with what came out in January, if it was slightly different genetically, it would have been from the lab and they could have easily discovered it. But I think they've probably destroyed all the evidence by now because there's a great deal of embarrassment and no one, including Anthony Fauci, wants to accept responsibility for this pandemic. Uh, Senator, I'm going to ask your opinion because I know what my opinion is. Uh, and since it's an opinion, none of us can get sued. Uh, uh, was okay, Fauci? Glad, glad we got that out of the way. Yes, I mean it's good to put it in there. Uh, Fauci was he was he stupid? 
was he doing it for money or uh, or uh, or or he didn't uh, well, one of one of those I think nobody would claim that he lacks intelligence. He didn't get to where he was, you know, being someone who's uninformed. But I think that he was reckless, and I think that his conclusions are opposed by many, many scientists. So, for example, in 2012, he was asked if this gain-of-function research allowed a virus to escape a lab, you know, a scientist is bitten by an animal or it escapes and a scientist inhales this virus, and a pandemic started, would it still be worth it? And his response was yes. He said that the knowledge was so valuable that you gained from this that it would be worth even a pandemic. And that's why the question should be asked in retrospect, and we'll see if it was asked this week in in the session behind closed doors. But the question should be asked of him, do you still believe that? Do you still believe that the knowledge gained, if indeed this virus did come from the Wuhan lab, do you think that the scientific knowledge that was gained in this research uh, was worth the death of 20 million people. And I think if it were put like that, he might have a different answer. The problem with Anthony Fauci also is he has a different answer in public than he has in private. In private, he admitted that the virus looked manipulated, and he also admitted that they were doing gain-of-function research in that lab. In public, he still denies it. He still denies that there was any uh, U.S. funding of the gain-of-function lab in Wuhan, but uh, he just hasn't been honest. So for his dishonesty, frankly, he should he should go to prison. If you lie to Congress and you're dishonest, and you won't accept responsibility. Now, the mistaken judgment, he should just be pilloried. I mean, he should never be uh, accepted. History should judge him as a deficient person who made one of the worst decisions in public health history in the entire history of the world. And that's why he should be remembered in history. And yet Democrats to this day still defend him. They they give him mil- – he's been given million-dollar prizes. He's been given plum uh, university positions, you know, he's worth about $12 million while being a government bureaucrat. So there's a lot of things that have gone wrong. And unfortunately, I think history will judge him harshly and he'll be unable to escape that. But the Democrats have done everything they can to protect him because I think they see him as a symbol of big government. And if he's wrong and big government made these mistakes, it goes against their entire philosophy. Senator Rand Paul, thank you. Uh, and uh, you would get an award of MVS, you know, what? M- <laughs> most valuable senator, uh, oh, because I, I the like knowledge it. you have, the <laughs> knowledge you have, and, and very few people have, and, and thank you for what you do for America. God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you. Thank you, John. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to wabcradio.com. Go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. With us uh, today is uh, Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana. And uh, I I will tell you, he's one of the smartest senators we have. And uh, so many things are happening in our country. So many things are happening in the world. Senator Kennedy, what keeps you up at 3 o'clock in the morning? Well, John, first, thanks for having me. Look, before I answer your question, I'm an optimist who who worries. Uh, I think America is the greatest country in all of human history, but we live in a a world that is challenging right now. What keeps me up, uh, number one, 
and not and this is not in order of importance because they're all important. Inflation, uh, inflation is man-made, and and that man's name is is Joe Biden. Um, it's gutting the American people like a fish. I know that inflation is is coming down, and that is a wonderful thing. But the the high prices are going to be permanent. Uh, all in, all uh, inflation slowing means that uh, it's not rising. Prices aren't rising as fast as they were. I'm worried about the border. It's an open, bleeding wound. Um, since President Biden has been president, uh, enough folks have come in illegally into our country to create four new Nebraskas and 8.4 million people, and we don't have the slightest idea who they are. And I think it's intentional. Uh, nobody's this incompetent. I, I think President Biden just believes in open borders. And and the White House believes that vetting people at the border is racist. The, uh, the, president, uh, the president of the United States is supposed to uh, keep the United States secure. Has, has President Biden crossed the line in that area? Um, I don't think he's done a very good job. I, I think... America is less secure because of the open border. I think America is less secure because of the attitude that the the, uh, the White House has encouraged um, to to uh, defund and disrespect the police. Um, this group running Washington thinks think that thinks that cops are a bigger problem than criminals. I think uh, the president, president's foreign policy is based on his perception that uh, strength through weakness. I, I can't think of a better way to express it. And the truth is that weakness invites the wolves. And Putin is being aggressive in Ukraine. And Iran is being aggressive in the Middle East. And China is being aggressive in the Indo-Pacific because they think they can get away with it. It's it's such problems. Uh, you know, I've been saying uh, ever since President Biden has gotten into office, uh, the price of oil had doubled, which moved almost a trillion dollars worth of wealth from North America uh, to Russia, to Iran, to OPEC nations. And that's what funded Russia to create their war in the Ukraine. That's what funded Iran to, to, to have excess money to pay all their uh, uh, Hamas and, uh, and all their other uh, uh, people. Well, you, that's true. And, and another example, uh, Iran is uh, behind all of the unrest in the Middle East. Um, we know that. We know that for a fact. And the best way to, to stop Iran is to choke them economically. We put sanctions on Iran's oil so they can't sell it, which will choke them economically, but President Biden won't enforce the sanctions because he thinks it'll make Iran mad. Well, Iran's already mad. They've already said we want to kill all Jews and all Americans. So I I, I just don't understand. The the the, the, the uh uh, geopolitical and the international uh, uh, political philosophy of this 
of, of this administration seems to be to quote Socrates in the middle of a bar fight. And we're in a bar fight in Ukraine and Israel and the Indo-Pacific. And President Biden wants to quote Socrates and read Beowulf to them. These are well, hard people we're dealing with. No, they're very, they're, they're, we're living in the jungle uh, and uh, uh, when Iran is funding the Houthis and they're funding Hezbollah and the Hamas, they, they, I, I mean, I almost call them the uh, Iranian Foreign Legion. Now, yeah. uh, we were expecting Israel to go and attack, and they're all Shiites. We were expecting Israel to go and attack possibly uh, Iran, but I think Israel uh, is being handicapped by uh, the White House, and what happened was, and this whole thing started, by the way, Senator, my belief, when Saudi Arabia and Iran wanted to, 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 to you know, create a alliance, and, and, and Iran, no, Saudi Arabia and Israel wanted to create an alliance, and Iran panicked and used Hamas to attack. Now... I think there's a lot to that, John. I think there's a lot to that. I... I think that uh, Iran saw a relationship developing between Saudi Arabia and Israel and wanted to do everything it could to undermine that. So Iran turned Hamas loose. We're not going to have peace in the Middle East until uh, 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 Hamas is eradicated. There's no reasoning with uh, Hamas. They want to kill Americans and they want to kill Jews and drink their blood out of a boot. But, but, Hamas, but Hamas is being funded. What I say, uh, Senator, is the Osama bin Laden of 2023-24, which is the mullahs. They're paying the money for them to do the, the attacking. Well, of course they are. And, and Iran is funding the terrorists, not only Hamas. They fund Hezbollah. They're funding the terrorists in Syria. They fund the terrorists in Iraq. They fund the Houthis in Yemen. Um, Iran has taken all the money that President Biden has given them, either directly or by not enforcing the, the sanctions on the selling of their oil. They're taking that money, and they're giving it to terrorists to try to kill Jews and Americans. I mean, it now, makes no sense. Yes, under President uh, uh, Trump, they were pumping 400,000 barrels a day at $50 a barrel. They hardly had money to feed their people. Now, President Biden has allowed them to pump 4 million barrels a, a day. And when it, when, it, when it was $100 a barrel, they, they had all the money in the world. Well, that, that's what I mean. President Biden and his team believe in peace through weakness. And I wish the world liked that, John, but I've never seen that work. I've never just worked. never seen that work. Iran yeah, understands right. one thing, power. And uh, we have not demonstrated it, and you see the result. Now, the other question I'd like to ask you, Senator, is since I, Israel was not going to attack Iran in the nuclear reactors, Israel's new friend, Saudi Arabia, Reenlisted possibly ISIS, brought them back to life, and they attacked Iran. What what what's your thoughts on that? Well, the the attack in Iran by ISIS, I think, is uh, um, it's a product of 
of the 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 different worldview of the Sunnis and the Shiites. But to address your question about Iran and a nuclear weapon, um, I do not believe. I don't know whether President Biden has the wherewithal to do what he needs to do to stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. But I do not believe that Israel will ever allow Iran to get a nuclear weapon. That is one of the biggest dangers uh, to, to, um, to a war in the Middle East. It's a matter of survival for Israel. And uh, I would strongly encourage the Biden administration to stop playing footsie with Iran and, and let's get tough with them because if we don't, Israel's not going to sit by and just watch Iran get a nuclear weapon and wipe Israel off the face of the earth, nor should Israel sit by and watch that. We all agree on that. we got a minute left. What would you like to tell the American people? Um, I'll end like I began. Um, we're going to be okay. This is the greatest country in all of human history. We've got to, we'll be fine. We've just got to remember who we are as Americans. Um, I believe that. I believe we're only as valuable as our children and as only good as our dreams. But the water in Washington, D.C. is not going to clear up until you get the pigs out of the creek, John. We've got to make some changes up here. Now, I'm a Republican, so I'm biased. But I'll be the first to admit the Republicans aren't perfect. But the other side is now crazy. The loon wing of the Democratic Party controls Joe Biden. If, 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 you, if you took the loon wing of the Democratic Party and turned it upside down and shook it, Joe Biden would fall out of its pocket. And the president ran as a moderate, and he's, he's served as a, 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 a woker. And you, the American people do not like that, which is why he's about as popular uh, if you re- if you read the polls, he's about as popular as his lies. Uh, will he will he make the corrections he needs to make? I don't know, but it is what it is. Senator uh, John Kennedy, thank you uh, for uh, everything you do for our country and your and your state. And uh, we got to pray uh, for uh, the, the right decisions for the voters to make in 2024. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me, my friend. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. There's a yellow rose in Texas that I am going to see. Nobody else could miss her, not half as much as me. What is today is uh, Senator Ted Cruz, uh, one of the, I've been told, one of the smartest U.S. senators our country has. And uh, he's uh, uh, there to protect Texas and the United States. Uh, uh, well, Senator, how are you today? John, great to be with you. One of the largest problems our country has is the border. And you're from Texas, and you're right on the border. Uh, and things are getting worse instead of getting better. Uh, the federal government has sued Texas for what they're trying to do to protect their own constituents. But the governor uh, has the responsibility of protecting the Texas uh, constituents. How is this going to sort itself out? 
Well, I think the only way it's going to sort itself out is to get a new president who will actually enforce the law. Uh, the scope of the crisis at the border, it really does defy words. Until you see it firsthand, as bad as you think it is, I promise you it is worse. I spend a lot of time down at the southern border. I, every time I'm down there, I go out on midnight patrol with the Border Patrol agents to see firsthand. I bring a lot of senators down to the border so they can see firsthand what is happening. We have had 9.6 million illegal immigrants cross into this country under Joe Biden. It is over 10,000 people a day are crossing the border illegally. It is the highest rate in the history of the country. And, and the thing to understand, this is man-made. It is caused by Joe Biden and the Democrats. They want this invasion, and they're perfectly happy to look the other way at the people who are dying. Last year, 853 migrants died crossing illegally into this country. That's almost three a day. Last year, thousands and thousands of children were physically assaulted and sexually assaulted. Thousands and thousands of women were sexually assaulted. Over 100,000 Americans died of drug overdoses, 70 percent of which was Chinese fentanyl flooding across our southern border. And all of this is because of deliberate decisions by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the Democrats. I mean, the president of the United States is supposed to secure our borders. Has he violated uh, his oath? Absolutely. And, and I got to tell you, John, it, it is qualitatively different than we've ever seen in the history of the country. In fact, Joe Biden has, has made me do something I never thought I would do, which is miss Barack Obama. And look, Barack Obama, I disagreed with Obama on a lot of policies. But on immigration, by and large, Obama followed the law. What Joe Biden has done that no president of either party has ever done is he utterly ignores the law. And so why do we have this crisis? It's very simple. The reason is because when someone is apprehended illegally, by the way, you don't, the, the Border Patrol doesn't go hunt and look for them. The, the illegal aliens go and find the Border Patrol and they turn themselves in. When I go out on midnight patrol, I have groups of illegal aliens turning themselves into me. And the reason they turn themselves in is the Biden administration asks them, where do you want to go? And they tell them, all tell them a different city. And the Biden administration puts them on a plane or a bus and sends them to those cities. And, and look, you're in New York City. The, the Democrat mayor there, Eric Adams, has said that it's a crisis, illegal immigration, that it is destroying New York City. Those are his words. That is with 110,000 illegal immigrants. Now, I agree. New York is paying a real price for the Biden open borders. But if 110,000 is destroying New York City, what the hell do you think 9.6 million is doing to Texas and the rest of the southern border? What is the lawsuit going to do? I mean, the, the governor of Texas have, has the right to protect your constituents. I mean, if I had a home 100 miles from the border, I, I better buy extra guns. And you know what? They all are. Look, when you talk with farmers and ranchers, I was down last week. In a ranch on South Texas, They'll, they're all armed. I had a South Texas mom who told me she does not allow her kids to go out on their ranch without a loaded firearm at all times because it is too dangerous for them to be on their own property. There is a lawlessness. And, John, where we are now, nobody who sees what's happening can defend it. Nobody in South Texas says this is a good thing. When they see the human suffering that Biden and the Democrats have caused, and the thing to understand— is this is deliberate. When Biden came into the White House, he inherited the lowest rate of illegal immigration in 45 years. 
We were having real success securing the border. And instantly, literally the very first month Joe Biden became president, the numbers skyrocketed. And the reason is simple. It is because Biden began using catch and release. When they apprehend someone, they just let them go. And that is what causes this crisis. Senator, somebody is paying airfare for Africans to fly to Mexico and to walk into the United States. Who is doing this? Well, we don't know entirely. What we do know is that the cartels are making billions of dollars from human trafficking. The going rate typically is between $3,000 and $12,000 that you have to pay a cartel to come in. And by the way, nobody comes into the country without paying a cartel. If you try to swim the Rio Grande on your own, the cartels will murder you. They have complete control of the southern side of our border. What it has done economically to the cartels, I'll give you some statistics from the New York Times. In the year 2018, the Mexican drug cartels made roughly $500 million from human trafficking. Last year, those same Mexican drug cartels made $13 billion from human trafficking. That is a 2,600% increase because they're literally printing money. And by the way, the three to $12,000 to come in, that's typically from Central or South America. If people are coming, say, from China, it can be upwards of $50,000. And, and, you know, many of the people who come, they still owe money to the cartels. They owe thousands of dollars. So when they get sent to New York City, when they get sent to Boston, when they get sent to every city in America, many of them are still working for the cartels to pay off the money they owe. And you look at the crime in New York City today – There is someone being mugged in New York. There is a car being broken into. There are drugs being sold in New York in order to pay off the cartels, because if the people coming in don't pay off the cartels, the cartels will murder their families back home. Senator, I uh, pray for our country, and I want to thank you for everything you do to protect Texas and to protect our country. God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. God bless. God bless. With us today is Catherine Christine Comack, a congresswoman from Florida. She is mad as heck as what's going on in Washington. Well, Kat Comack, tell us what's going on in Washington, what's going on with the border, and I know you're as mad as heck. I appreciate it, John. Happy New Year. And let me tell you, it is craziness up here on Capitol Hill. We had Hunter Biden crash a committee hearing unexpectedly and then rush out. We had a pretty contentious family discussion amongst Republicans about this spending package that was negotiated over the holiday break. And of course, the border. We have begun the impeachment proceedings on Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security. And I think it's really important that people know that in the midst of all of this going on, we're borrowing $7 billion a day And for all the fights that we are having, every 140 days, we are borrowing another trillion dollars. And so for all of the angertainment and all of the stuff happening with the Biden crime family, which is serious and they do need to be held accountable and investigated, we are losing our country in front of our eyes, both in the fiscal sense and in our national sovereignty with this open border policy. And I know that you guys know that very well in New York, because heck, just yesterday we saw school getting shut down because there were migrants who were being moved into it. 
Yes, they uh, they closed down Floyd Bennett Field and they moved them into some high school and threw the high school kids out. Isn't that amazing? That's what America last looks like. If anyone ever had to question what the America last policy of Joe Biden was, it was kick kids out of school to make room for illegals. That is their agenda. And you always wonder, why are they doing this? Well, look no further than H.R. 1 from Nancy Pelosi's last tenure as Speaker of the House in the 117th Congress. They wanted to grant voting rights to non-citizens. They wanted to strip voter ID. They wanted to publicly finance campaigns. It is an all-out play to get control of elections because the left agenda is nothing but dependency and control. And this is just one more step in the in the process. This is John Katz from TV's. If you want to hear the full interview, go to WABCRadio.com. Thank you for listening to the Katz Roundtable. Every Sunday morning, we'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.